0: Colossians 3, 23 and 24 says, Whatever you do, do it from the heart as something done for the Lord and not for people. Knowing that you will receive a reward of inheritance from the Lord, you serve the Lord Christ. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we're blessed to come together this morning. We thank you for that opportunity. And Lord, we're here to lift up Jesus together. And we're thankful that we can truly know that he, is a, that he is risen. And we're here to celebrate our risen Savior each and every day of our lives. Father, as we're gathered here this morning, help us to put our focus on you and to help one another to be encouraged. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Good Good morning. That's a good song to wake up to, isn't it? It's so good to have everybody here today. We're here to lift up Christ together, and we're glad that you've chosen to do that with us today. Make sure you fill out your connection card for us if you would, and if you have prayer requests, you can put those on there. If they're confidential, please mark them as such, or else we'll put them on the sign. And also, just kidding about the sign, but also for those of you who are watching us online, please make, you, make sure you fill things out so that we can keep contact with you. At this time, we're going to continue singing songs to the Lord together, and we encourage you to ha- be seated, or you can stand if you want, but be seated and we'll sing together. Be seated. <laughs> We Thought I was going to have to do a start doing a rap, you know, <laughs> you know, a little beatboxing. But anyway, today we're going to begin a new series um, through the book of 1st and 2nd Thessalonians. Okay, somebody's mic's still bumping, um, entitled Faith in Uncertain Times, and I don't know about you, but I kind of think we live in uncertain times, don't you? Um, it, it really is. There's a lot of things, but you know what's interesting about that thought? Every generation has had the same thought. I mean, every generation, you know, comes presidential elections, like this is the, this is the, the one that means more than anything on the planet. And this one might, but anyway. Um, and there, we always have these great pronouncements of, of doom and gloom that if this one event doesn't happen the way we want it to, man, we're just, we're all doomed. It's all over. Well, we live in uncertain times, but every generation has. And as we look looked look overall at the big idea of this message, of this series, I should say, is we're in a world filled of death, war, evil. How can we face what feels like an unknowable future? And that's what this whole six-week series is going to deal with. What do we do with our anxieties concerning the days ahead? I would imagine some of you even stayed up last night full of anxiety about things. So what do we do about that? This six-week series is in First the, in the, in, in and 2 Thessalonians will help us to deal with these things. It'll help provide comfort and assurance as we live in these uncertain times. These letters discuss the future of Christ's second coming and what believers should do while waiting for his return. Paul encourages believers, he encourages Christians, he says, you need to be prepared. You need to cling to the truth of what they've been taught and we're called to live responsibly in light of the future. And honestly, when we're struggling with what's going to happen in in the future, it's easy to put our focus on that. And what it does is it gets us stressed and depressed many times. And instead, Paul's going to suggest a different way of living. And I will guarantee you this. If you can grasp this way of living, your life will be much better. And you will not have all those unnecessary anxieties that change nothing. But instead, you'll have an encouraging life. How do we take the words that Paul's gonna share with us to heart and face the future without fear? One of the things that that, that drives fear is the unknown or a lack of knowledge or information concerning a given subject matter. The church at Thessalonica dealt with a subject that caused a great deal of anxiety and grief within the body of believers in, in Thessalonica, which means it was happening other places also. Other Christians were facing the same anxiety, the same fear, and I would venture to say that even yet today, we still struggle with it. In 2022, there was a study by Chapman University entitled the Chapman University Survey of American Fears. This study is now in its ninth year, and what they have done is they have gone to, I think, 1,000, let me go, yeah, 1,035 Americans at random, and they asked them from a list of 95 different fears ranging from topics about government, environment, natural disasters, COVID-19 and such, what do you fear? And then they ranked those fears in order of the, the ones that had the most very afraid, or afraid to very afraid. Okay, so that's how they come up with this. The first one, what do you think the first, the biggest fear people had was in this study? Just, you all can participate. What do you think? Dying? Okay, we've had death. Anything else? Any other thought? What's that? Okay, yeah, spiders, man, nasty things. That's why I carry a 9mm in the house. See a spider, he's... Of course, my cats love bugs in the house, man. They go nuts over it, particularly Brookie. One day, I saw her jumping up in the air. I'm like, what are you doing? She found a bug. Um, One other guess. Anything else? Well, we won't comment on that one. What's that? Snakes. The only good snake is a dead snake. There we go. And I love animals, by the way. Well, here's what number one was. And it's been this way since about 2015. And it's gone back and forth. Corrupt government officials. (laughs) 62.1%. I don't know why anybody would have any concern about that whatsoever. I'll leave that one alone. (laughs) Uh, another one number two people I love becoming seriously ill 60.2 number three and you can tell the media has influenced some of this Russia using nuclear weapons number four people I love dying number five the U.S. becoming involved in another world war number six pollution of drinking water number seven not having enough money for the future number eight economic and financial collapse Number nine, pollution of oceans, rivers, and lakes. Number 10, biological warfare. I just, when I read this study, now there, you'll find all kinds of studies that come up with all different results, but this one I picked because it's been done for like nine years in a row, and they actually have some scientific research behind it. But what cracks me up is corrupt government officials. You know, that used to be spiders and public speaking and death. Now we've descended to corrupt public officials, seriously? That would never happen. Um, in the next today and next week, we're going, our text is going to deal with fear number four people that I love dying. And this has hit all of us in some way. Um, there's a lot of I didn't have a better way to word this. There's a lot of fantasy information concerning the second coming there's been books written, the Left Behind series, things like that, that people have put up and said, that's gospel. Now, what we're going to do, I'm not going to sit here and pick the death at Left Behind and different, some of the different uh, end times things, but what I'm going to do over this week and Jerry next week, we are going to show you what scripture says. And scripture is very self-explanatory about how things are going to end and what's going to happen. And so that's what we're going to do. And when you look at that and you have other thoughts, you can have those thoughts, but I challenge you to compare them to what Paul's going to write in Thessalonians because it's very explicit. My hope is as we look into the word, we'll gain some knowledge and insight about the return of Christ. And of course, the title of this message this morning, I should have flipped it over, is called The Return. I was going to put The Return of the King, but I didn't go that far. Anyway. We're going to begin in First Thessalonians chapter 4. We'll start with verse 13. Now, I do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about those who were asleep, so that you will not grieve like the rest who have no hope. <clears throat> so our first observation is, and it's a play on words, a grave concern. Death is a time that we don't want to face. It's not something that we want to face with loved ones. When my mother was passing away, I didn't want to have to deal with it. <laughs> but it's part of life. We have many people here today who have lost loved ones to death. We've lost young loved ones, we've lost older loved ones. When, hope, when death comes, our hopes and dreams for the future seem to be crushed, uh, particularly those who have lost children. Uh, that's gotta be horrible. You know, you're ho- you have your kids, you raise them, and then you know you're gonna get your revenge on them with grandkids. And you know, there's just a lot, it's, it's rough. Losing a loved one is a life-changing event. In our lives. There never seems to be enough time. Um, whether somebody passes at just a few days old or at 110, there's just not enough time. One day, unless the Lord returns first, every single one of us in here is going to face our own death and the death of, lo- death, death of loved ones. My wife and I have this discussion that, you got to die first. No, you, or I get to die first. No, I get to die first. I'm like, so you got to die first and leave me alone. I appreciate that. <laughs> um thank you we're going together epic off the cliff probably who knows but or we might drop drop our vehicle off in a ravine you never know <laughs> sorry about that that was just a, I was right down the middle of the plate I had to hit that one out um but what happens when we die that's the question this is the thing that draws a lot of anxiety from people is it game over is it game over is it just it's over when we're immersed into Christ, one of the promises that we have from God is eternal life. And eternal life doesn't mean we're going to lay in a dirt nap the rest of our rest of eternity. There's something more. As Christians, we have hope because we believe that Jesus and what we believe in Jesus and what He said concerning our eternal destiny in Him. It's different. It's different. I've done funerals of those who who don't know Jesus. It's horrific. It's horrific. You know why? There's no hope. They'll stand over the grave, oh, you know, Joe's in a better place. No, Joe probably isn't. It's not, my, it's not my thing to judge. But we tell ourselves that because it gives us comfort. Death isn't something we look forward to, but it's going to happen. We must maintain a sense of anticipation and hope in the face of that, that we're, of which we're going to face. Now, 1 Thessalonians was written around AD 52, roughly 20 years after the resurrection of Jesus. And people <clears throat> excuse me, accepted Jesus, excuse me, expected Jesus to return at any moment. They thought once he ascended, they just thought it was just a matter of days, weeks, months, that he was going to return. Now, in the meantime, guess what was happening? People's loved ones were dying, but no return of Jesus. They didn't know what to do or what to think. They were, as Paul says, they were uneducated on the subject. So it caused great anxiety. People during this period were so sure that Jesus was going to return at any moment, many of them quit working and waited for Jesus. And you see a hint of this in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 10-12, through where Paul starts talking about, hey, if a person doesn't eat, doesn't work, they're not going to eat. <laughs> in other words, there's not a free welfare program at the church. You need to work, is what he was telling them. <laughs> But Paul's recipients were concerned that those who, their loved ones who died and Jesus has not yet returned were at a disadvantage or maybe missed the boat that they weren't even going to get on the cruise. And they wondered what was going to happen. In response, Paul writes to educate the believers at Thessalonica and everybody else who read this because as he says in verse 13, I don't want you to be uninformed about those who are sleep. Sleep's a euphemism for death. I don't want you to be uninformed about what happened to your loved one who just died. Paul's purpose was to inform them and to comfort them with knowledge and truth. We too can seek comfort from the truth of the scripture whenever we're dealing with our fears. Paul goes on to say he's sharing this information because he doesn't want his readers to grieve like those who have no hope. Those who don't know Jesus. He says, I don't want you to look at that person who's passed away and say... It's over. I'll never see him again. And Paul's like, wait a minute. That's not how it goes. That's not how it goes. There's more to it. We have promises. We have hope. We have proof of the resurrection. Many people follow many different religions. My question is, why? Why would you want to follow a faith that the person you're following died? and is still in a tomb. What hope is that? Okay, maybe their teachings can make your life a little better here and there, but most of those teachings are based on Christianity anyway. But, but, but why would you want to follow? We're all going to die. Why follow that? Where's the hope in that? Do you want to just have a permanent dirt nap? Do you want to just think when I take my last breath, it's just over? We have a God who created us. And here's the problem if you're an evolutionist and you think, all oh, everything happened by accident and blah, blah, blah. Okay. You have no hope because you can't mix that with God. Because the Bible says God created. And if you don't believe that, and the Bible says that God did it in seven day, in six days, rested on the seventh. And there weren't millions of years between days. It doesn't work. If you don't believe those things, how can you believe in Jesus and what he did? See, you have to believe the scriptures as a whole or none. You're going to question some things, we do. But ultimately, when you start picking it apart to the point where I don't believe this, I don't believe that, well, then how can you believe anything? It's just like the professor I had said he didn't believe anything in the Bible except for the Sermon on the Mount that God is love. And I said, well, what are you basing that on? He couldn't answer. Because I said, if you don't believe Genesis, how do you believe Matthew? You want God to be a God of love. You want those Beatitudes to be true, but you have no proof. You have nothing to back it up this is why in church, and hopefully for those of you, you know, a few of you still raising your kids, you need to be teaching your kids biblical truth, because when they go off to brainwash university and get brainwashed about a bunch of garbage, they need to be able to be strong, and they need to understand why they believe what they believe, and why you can trust what's written in Genesis just as much as you can trust what's written in Revelation and everything in between. So, he says, I'm writing this so that you don't grieve like those who have no hope. And believe me, and I think you've done the same thing too. I've seen people grieve with no hope. That's ugly. It's horrific. I've told people the best gift you can give to your family is the gift of your eternal life. So when you're lying in that back casket, they don't have to wonder. Um... It's a bad feeling to wonder. It's a bad feeling. Let's look at verses 14 through 17. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, so also we believe that God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep as Christians. For we tell you this by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and are left until the coming of the Lord will surely not go ahead of those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with the shout of, a com- of command, with the voice of an archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. And then we who are alive and are left will be suddenly caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So we will always be with the Lord. So in this section, we see peace through understanding. And when I'm talking about peace, I'm talking about internal peace, not warfare, but internal peace. The people at Thessalonica were rattled. They were upset. They were, they were struggling because they're seeing, they're expecting Jesus to come back today, but yet their loved ones had died an hour ago, a month ago, a year ago, 19 years ago. They don't know what to think. And verses 14 through 17, Paul explains why as Christians we can experience peace when we lose a loved one who's in Christ. In verse 14, he gives us the foundation of our hope. Without Jesus, where do you place your hope for eternal life? Many people place their hope in being good. I would imagine if you take polls, and there's been polls taken. I had one from uh, from 2002, but that's way old. But that one, a vast majority of people said, if I'm a good person, I'm going to heaven. And I suspect the numbers haven't changed much. It was somewhere around 80%. It was a huge number. Well, what's good? You know, when they call Jesus good, he says, I'm not good, only the Father's good. So where's that standard? Where's that objective standard if you're going to follow that? Some people place their hope in their position in life. Others put their hope in Mohammed, Buddha, Joseph Smith, whoever. (laughs) Based on what? They're all dead. Aren't they? They they go to their tombs. What's that to celebrate? Um, some people place their hope in the fact that when we die, we just die. They don't want anymore. They just want it to end. The only hope that we can have is built on Jesus. You know why? Because God raised Him on the third day. He defeated death. I will follow that and Him before I follow someone who's already dead. It's like, for that other scenario, it's like saying, you know, you, know, you know the history of Custer's last stand? And let's say you get put back in history and you can, so you can join Custer, are you gonna go with him on that last stand? Not me. I don't wanna die with a bunch of arrows sticking out of me, getting my body picked apart by the bugs and the birds. Nope, not gonna do that. Well, you know, you follow anything but Jesus Christ, you're basically with Custer's last stand. You're, you're just charging into death. You're, you're not, you have no hope, zero hope. <laughs> Our hope is based on, the, on that. Now, Acts 4.12 reminds us, there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among people by which we must be saved. No other name. People say, well, Jeff, you're being kind of narrow-minded, it's 2023 now, you know, we're more enlightened now. No, we're not, we're the same people we've, as we've always been since God created us, same hard-headed obstinate people, the same people. Jesus said, Paul said, the gospel writers tell us, Acts tells us there's no other name under heaven by which we're saved. If you're placing your hope on eternal life on anything but Jesus, it's a false hope. It's a false hope. My wife and I we went to a, a, a place to stay a few weeks ago and they had a I think it was about this big, it was pyrite. And I'm thinking, "All right. Can you imagine being the person that found that thinking it might have been a chunk of gold?" Woo! I mean, it was big. And you take it up and find oh, it's worth 10 bucks. <clears throat> See, that'd be my luck, you know. If I want it, it's priceless. If I own it, it's worthless. That's kind of how it goes. <laughs> seems to be, seems, I don't have that Midas touch. But, but Paul tells us this. The gospel writers, Acts tells us this. I think of folks without Jesus. They think they have hope. But down deep, they know they don't. Something inside them tells them there's no hope. When they're standing in front of that person who's died, who doesn't know the Lord, and they're saying, hey, he's in a better place. Something's telling them, no, he's not. No, he's not. Our hope has been, is rooted in, but in what has been done and what is promised in Jesus. Nothing else. Our hope is in our confidence of what God has done, and it's rooted in, in what he'll do, which is rooted in what he's done. Because what he's done shows us what he'll do. These elements of the Christian hope are missing from all other religions because they've done nothing so they can do nothing. Does that make sense? If you haven't done it, you can't do it. Muhammad didn't defeat death. Joseph V didn't defeat death. Buddha didn't defeat death. None of these other people defeated death. These religions they make up in Hollywood, they didn't defeat death. L. Ron Hubbard didn't defeat death. He's dead. Ellen G. White, she's dead. Hmm. Hmm. Who else defeated death? I mean, you could kind of say Lazarus. The guy, you know, God did raise him. We have a couple instances in the Old Testament, but they're not claiming to be the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus did, and He is, and He showed us by what He's done. This foundation can give us peace and comfort when we lose a loved one in Christ. Look, we're going to be sad. We're going to be heartbroken, but we also have an assurance to know this isn't over. This isn't over and that can give us hope in the midst of death. Verse 14 tells us that if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, we too will be part of that celebration when he returns. Jesus is going to bring those with him who have died when he returns. As we move to verse 15, Paul says what he's about to share is the word of the Lord. He's saying, I didn't make this up, this is, now it's, it's either a direct teaching from, him, from Jesus to him. It's a direct teaching of Jesus to others. It's a teaching that Jesus, everything he taught wasn't recorded. But Paul says, this is the word of the Lord. He explains that those who have died and that those who are alive are on equal footing. So he's telling the church of Thessalonica, he says, yeah, your loved one died and you're alive. If God returns today, if Jesus returns today, you're both okay. You're both on equal footing. In verse 16, he speaks first to those who have died in Christ, what's going to happen. And in verse 17, he speaks to those who were alive at the time. We see a chain of about eight events that will occur at the return of the Lord. And this is what scripture says. Verse 16, we'll start with that. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a shout of command, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. So, second coming, first thing that will happen. The Lord himself will come down from heaven. When God determines it's time for Jesus to return, Jesus will return in a very public way. It is not some secret. He is going to return publicly. The descent will be visible, Revelation 1-7. It will be audible, 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 16 and 17. It will be majestic, 2 Thessalonians 1-7. This is what scripture teaches. Then, as he's coming down, there will be an audible shout of command from the voice of the archangel, which is a chief, the chief of the angels. The phrase shout of command pictures an officer shouting orders to his troops. And by the way, the command is given by somebody in authority. So as Jesus is coming down, we're going to hear audibly the shout of the archangel. Don't know what he's going to say. It's, you know, maybe let's get ready to rumble or whatever. I don't know how he's going to put it, but, but we're going to know it. We're going to hear it. It's not a secret. It's not hidden. Now, remember, this is the progression. Second, Jesus is coming down. As he ascended, other passages tell us. Then we're going to hear that shout of command. Thirdly, the trumpet of God will sound. The archangel shouts the command, and the sound of the trumpet of the Lord comes. In the Old Testament, whenever God came down, if you will, to man, this occasion was marked by the blast of the trumpet. You see this in Exodus chapter 19, verses 16 through 19. Then, when that happens, music will play and you know, <laughs> when that happens, then the, the fourth thing, this is in order, the dead in Christ will rise first. The disembodied souls of those who have died in Christ before this event will return with Jesus and in that moment will be resurrected into their new glorified bodies, which I'm kind of hoping you know, I you know, get a taller one next time. Now, the pagans, and even the Sadducees. That's why they're Sadducee. I learned that in college. Paid a lot of money for that. That um, death meant dead forever. The Sadducees did not see an eternal life. Don't know why they did that, but they didn't see it. The pagans didn't. But that's not what Jesus teaches. That's not what Paul teaches. That's not what scripture teaches. According to them, listen to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians and keep this verse in the back of your mind in verse Corinthians 15, 51 through 53 and the whole chapter deals with this. Listen, I will tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep but we will be changed. In other words, he's talking about those when the Lord returns that they're not going to see death but they're going to be changed and he says verse 52 in a moment in a blinking of an eye at the last trumpet going back to Thessalonians the trumpet will sound the dead will be raised imperishable talking about those who are dead in Christ and we will be changed. In other words, as we're caught up we're going to be changed. I'm not going to heaven in this short body. <laughs> this perishable body must be put on, excuse me, for this perishable body must put on the imperishable. The mortal body must, be put, must put on immortality. So we will be changed. We will change. Now we'll see what's going to happen to those who are alive at the time. Same progression. Then what's going to happen? According to verse 17, let's read that. <laughs> Then we who are alive and are left will suddenly be caught up together with them in the clouds, speaking of the ones that Jesus is bringing back. We will meet the Lord in the air, so we will always be with the Lord. So the fifth progression in the event is those who are alive and are left. There'll be Christians on earth when the Lord returns. Not some secret left behind series thing, but a very public display that we'll all see. Now notice that... This stuff doesn't happen until the Lord returns. There is not a third coming. There is going to be no one caught up in the air with Jesus until he returns. So that just debunks a lot of that stuff that's out there. There's no third coming, only a second. And then it says at number six, those alive will be caught up with those who previously died in Christ. Now, here's where it gets kind of cool. The word rapture is nowhere in Scripture, but here's where we get it. The Greek phrase caught up was translated into the Latin, into the word, I'm I'm butchering it up a little bit here, it's called rapier. When the Latin word was translated into English, the English equivalent was rapture. So the word actually is, the Greek is caught up. And it's also passive, which means that we're not jumping up and down. We see the Lord, okay, I'm going to get up there. You know, I'd try to jump higher, but I don't want to hurt my knee. Um, I used to have pretty good hops but as i've gotten older i've lost it but we can't it's nothing we do it's something that god does he brings us up and then as we're being caught up that's when we get that glorified body if you're still alive according to first corinthians 15 51 through 53 will be changed in an instant i don't know what it's going to look like no one does but i know one thing's going to be amazing it's going to be a simply amazing The seventh thing, in the clouds, those who are alive will meet the Lord in the air, okay? This doesn't happen until he returns. This doesn't happen before, okay? That's not what Scripture teaches. Scripture says, when it happens, when we meet him, we'll meet him in there, we're caught up, if you are raptured, people talk about the rapture, that's going to happen when the Lord returns, not before. Nowhere in Scripture does it teach anything else. And number eight, it says, we will always be with the Lord. So those who are alive and remain, you will be with the Lord for eternity. Those who have died in Christ, he's bringing you with him. Your disembodied spirit is coming with him. And when that happens, you're going to get your resurrection body. Then those who are alive, they're going to get caught up. We're going to have a big celebration together. It's going to be awesome. All this hope's based on Jesus. Everyone will be raised. And then judgment. And we get this in the gospels and other Matthew 25, the sheep and the goat, he'll separate them. Judgment is not a determination of when, who's going to heaven and who's not. It's a final vindication of God that says God is right. When you take your last breath of the Lord returns, I was raised in a faith that basically said you could pray people out of purgatory. That is not scriptural. It is not biblical. That cannot happen. If I die outside of Christ, I'm outside of Christ for eternity. There's no hope for me. I can't, you can't baptize somebody else in my place. As some religions teach, that's not what scripture teaches. So this is why we get a, and I don't wanna get deep into this. We get a lot of excitement and revelation. We get a lot of excitement about, you know, how the end times are gonna work. And I'm not gonna say some of that's not important, but the bottom line is you need to be ready. You need to be ready. Because I don't care what your millennial view is. If you're not ready, you're in trouble. Now, some would say the one where you got a rapture and then a bunch of other stuff. It's a second chance theology that scripture doesn't teach. But don't you want to be with the Lord? Be right with him. That's all you got to do. Be in him. That's all you got to do. His grace will make up the rest. Let's finish with verse 18. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. So we see joyful encouragement. These words are meant to be a comfort to those who are in Christ. They're meant to be a main comfort for those of us who are in Christ and we've lost loved ones who are in Christ. If we've lost people that we love who are outside of Christ, we have no, there's no hope. I hate that. I hate that. I've had people coming to me wanting me to give them assurance about where their loved ones are that are outside of Christ. I can't, I can't do it. I kind of try to avoid the question, honestly. I'm not the judge, okay? First of all, and that's what I always tell people, I am not the judge. I am not the one who says who goes into heaven and hell. I I am not the gatekeeper, thankfully. But the Bible tells us that eternal life only belongs to those who are faithful to Jesus unto death, Revelation chapter 2, verse 10 among many other passages. <clears throat> in other words, I can't give my life to Christ when I was a kid and walk away from Jesus, and then when I'm standing, oh, wait a minute, God, I got, my, I got my baptismal certificate when I was 12 years old here. Nope. Faithful unto death, and you'll receive the crown of life. The only way I can give anybody comfort and peace is when they're in Christ. And, well, how do you get in Christ. The Bible teaches you put your faith in him. You confess him as your Lord. You repent of your sins to him. You're baptized into Christ. You're going to rise and walk in the newness of life. Outside of that scenario, I can't give anyone anything. Well, somebody asked Jesus in their heart, okay, that's not my thing. But all I can tell you is when you do what God says, I can give you assurance. If you make up your own way, follow some other path, I can't give you assurance. Because that's not what scripture teaches. My assurance comes from scripture. My assurance comes from what God teaches and what God says and what Jesus has done and what he tells us to do. Do you want to have hope for the future? Say, I do, to Jesus and give your life to him and be baptized into Christ and rise and walk in a newness of life. The Bible tells us the church is the bride of Christ. And you know who Jesus is coming back for? His bride. And you want to be a part of that, Ephesians 5.27. You want to be a part of that. And if you're not a part of that, he's not coming for you, and that's not what you want. When we lose loved ones to death and who are in Christ, we don't have to grieve like those who have no hope, because our hope and their hope is realized in Jesus. And we can rest assured, we're going to be sad. Oh, my, we're going to be sad. There's a difference between being sad and grieving with no hope. A massive difference. I've done enough funerals where I've seen them both. In conclusion, our application point is this. We can live confidently in the present, more biblically informed about the future. This morning, our praise team is going to come up and lead us in a song of decision. And if you've not accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, we invite you to come forward this morning. Jesus died on the cross so you could have eternal life. Eternal life is life eternal in the presence of God from this, point, you know, from, from this point forward. But it's not just about the eternal life in the future. It's about this life now. It's about this life now. Imagine living a life where you don't have to be full of anxiety, full of guilt, full of shame, full of wonder, wondering, well, what's going to happen to me? When we do what scripture says, I can tell you what's going to happen because that's what God says is going to happen. And would you rather trust what God says is going to happen what some guy tells you? You know, we can have our hope in Jesus. Any other place that we place our hope isn't solid. And when the storms hit, they'll disappear. It's like building your house on the sand. It'll just get shifted away. This morning, if you've not accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, we invite you to come forward this morning to do that. If you're an immersed believer and would like to make First Christian your home, we'd love to have you come forward this morning. If you're struggling and need some prayer, if you'd like to come forward, myself or one of our elders, Roger, would be glad to pray with you and help lift up your spirits this morning. But at this time, let's stand together as we sing, Jesus is coming again. Chuck and Lori Allen come to us. They've been members of the church, and for health reasons and stuff, they haven't been here with us for quite a while. And they just wanted to reestablish the fact that First Christian is their home. And we're we're so glad to have them back with us. We're, we're so glad to have them back here at First Christian Church, and um, we're going to be here to love and support Chuck and Lori, and uh, they'll be here to love and support us also.
1: Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was. But being a short man, A short man, he could not because of the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore tree, uh, fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and he said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. We were in um, Sunday school growing up, we used to sing. Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. He climbed up in the sycamore tree, for the Lord he wanted to see. And as the Savior passed that way, he looked up in the tree, and he said, Zacchaeus, you come down, for I'm going to your house today. There's a legend uh, concerning Zacchaeus that when he was old, he still lived in Jericho. He was a humble and pious man before God and his fellow men. It says that every morning at sunrise, he went out into the fields for a walk. He always came back very calm and very happy in his attitude to begin his day's work. His wife wondered where he went on these morning excursions, but he never told her. One morning, she secretly followed him, according to the legend. Zacchaeus went straight to the tree from which he first saw Jesus. Hiding herself to see what he would do, she noticed he took a pitcher of water, poured it around the roots of the tree, which were getting dry in that hot climate. He pulled up some weeds here and there and he passed his hand fondly on the trunk of the old tree. Then he looked up at the place among the branches where he had sat that day when Jesus came by. After that, he returned home and went about his day's business. His wife afterward spoke to him about uh, what she had seen him do and asked why he took such good care of that old tree. Quietly, Zacchaeus said, it was that tree which had brought him to the one whom he now loves. Each morning, Zacchaeus remembered Jesus and what he had done for him. In the upper room, Jesus said to the disciples, take this and share it among yourselves. For I tell you that from this time I will never drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God has come. In essence, Jesus was saying to them, remember me by doing this. Each time that we come to the communion service, we remember Jesus and what he has done for us. We remember what he means to us. And just like Zacchaeus, we refresh our memories of the time when we met Jesus face to face. You partake of the emblems this morning, once again. Water the tree brought you to Jesus pull up the weeds of sin that might interfere with your relationship with Jesus with the one who died for you here before thee Savior we would lowly bow grant us now thy presence come and bless us now in this sweet communion may our souls be fed True consecration. May we all be led. Grant this bread now broken be a, may a symbol be of Thy precious body bruised on Calvary's tree. Grant this cup of blessing to our hearts may prove one more tie tie that binds us closer to Thy love. Father in heaven, we are thankful for the tree. Helped bring us to Christ, whatever it may have been, whoever it may have been. We are thankful that we can come now and remember once again that special time of coming together and meeting Jesus. Bless these emblems now as we thus partake in Jesus' name.
0: You know, one thing I forgot to do this morning, I tell my wife and I sat down, I said, I had a countdown timer for us to do a greeting time, and I don't know if I forgot to put it in or what, but um, then she said, well, just surprise them and have it, you know, at random, kind of like, the, you know, you never know, like the second coming, <laughs> so we'll fix that next week, but you still only get three minutes, don't get six, uh, and inside, inside of your bulletin, we have our, prayer, uh, have our uh, announcements for the week, we have um, all of our youth activities going on, Rogers groups meeting today, Young at Heart is Monday, and um, we ha- Lori's Bible study takes place, and the other studies take place on Wednesday. Food Pantry is looking for items. Um, there's going to be a meeting on Sunday the 24th, which is next Sunday at 4 o'clock, and you guys are probably need to have that in the leadership team room, because we're going to be working in the sanctuary next Sunday after church to get our new um, video system up. Hopefully. So anyway, uh, Peaches Pantries looking for things still, Operation Christmas is looking for donations. There's an, a note in here about going to Israel, in, in a, in, so if you're interested in doing that, make sure you see Larry and Brenda. But I think that's all the announcements. We had 10 ladies show up at the spa uh, meeting last yesterday at the bonfire, so uh, they had a good time together. On the inside of your bulletin, we have our prayer concerns and prayers of celebration. Uh, Roger Snyder is home and is recovering. He's still doing rehab. I went to see him for a while yesterday. Cute little poodle, by the way, but uh, had a nice visit with him. He's, he's getting stronger. We have uh, a lot of special concerns we're praying for. Also, um, under our special concerns, please be with um, Linda Finney and her family. Tom passed away this past Friday in a swimming accident. So uh, keep her in your prayers as we mourn his passing we have a lot of people that are struggling with their health. Many of them are getting back on track. Uh, We have troops that are deployed, our shut-ins that we're praying for. We're praying for Santa on the West End Stocking Project, and we're praying for all the missions that we support this month. So at this time, let's stand together. I'll give you a moment to lift up your hearts to the Lord. I'll close us with a prayer, and our praise team will lead us in in a closing song this morning. Let's pray together. Lord, we know that you hear our prayers, and we thank you for all that have been lifted up to you this morning, and we know that you'll act upon them. Lord, I thank you for the opportunity we have to come together today. I pray that as we leave this place, we leave encouraged and strengthened, ready to to live life, putting our faith and hope in you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.
2: Thank yeah. you. this morning. Have a wonderful week in the Lord, everybody.